Well, it's a pleasure to meet you two. Uh, what's your name? Oh, yes, you're John Negroni and Will Ashton of the Cinemaholics podcast. Is that right? Oh, you bet, big business. Honored to be here in the presence of the CEO, CFO, COO, and HR manager of Bestflix, the biggest streaming service on the planet. Right. Well, I suppose that's why I'm confused. You two are here pitching a song idea to me. You see, on Bestflix, we produce original shows and movies that follow a safe, vanilla format that is designed to be on our top ten for two weeks, then never watched again by anyone. And hey, don't you two review movies on a podcast? We sure do big business, but the thing is, John and I want to start spreading our wings and find success in other media, especially because our movie review podcast is, well, <laughs> a failure. That's right, Will. You see, movie reviews can only get you so far in the podcast game. It's not like Will Ashen and I are going to start solving 20-year-old true crimes anytime soon. Uh, we learn from our mistakes. But you know who doesn't watch movies at all? Academy Awards voters? Well, besides them, no. Gen Z, the TikTok kids, as we like to call them. But you see, big business, Will and I, we might just have the song that will appeal to the younger generation. Wait a minute, is that a tape deck from 1996? Get ready to hear your next number one single on Best Flicks Music. We call it Death Cab for Spy Kids. Is there such a thing as a good murder? She was my wife, John. How could you? I should have killed you when I had the chance. You're not the father. Mama Mia, here we go again. Guess that's a cabin trip we'll never forget. You didn't build that. Um, well, I don't think I understand. It's Death Cab, but for spy kids. But it's so serious and political. Exactly. Kids love politics and taking things seriously. And Obama. Just look at Team Vogue. So we figured, why not make a spy song dedicated to their tastes? You don't need to put it on any major spy movie you have coming up. Maybe just No Time to Die or something. I don't know, boys. This doesn't seem like the type of catchy song that will make the kids sing and dance in the streets to cheap choreography. They stream for an app that is better than Vine only on paper. Paper? See, big business, you are old. But John and me, we're millennials. We get confused for Gen Z all the time. And vice versa. Trust us, big business. If you release this song, the only thing you'll have to ask yourself in two months is, oh, is that the song from Pixar's Up? That's where I recognized it. Well, I guess we could just put it on CBS All Access. No, no, we want to shoot something higher than that. Put it on Crackle.
Welcome once again to Cinemaholics. I'm John Agroni. I am the box office columnist for Adam Tickets, head writer for Cinemaholics.com, and I'm an occasional writer of books. He is a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend, soon to be award-winning songwriter. And oh, of course, he reviews films for Cinemaholics.com. It's Will Ashton. Hello, hello. You can find more episodes of Cinemaholics, including our full archive, all 174 episodes of the main show, and many Thank more. Well, we've got so many episodes yeah, of this show. Lot. A lot of bonus episodes. It's an, it's incredible stuff. You can find everything we've done on cinemaholics.com. Very easy to find. And you can write into the show anytime by sending us an email. Cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com is how you do that. And if you'd like to support this podcast, uh, you can become one of our monthly patrons on patreon.com slash cinemaholics. We have uh, three big reviews this week. And... We're, we're going to kind of give equal strength to all of them to the point where it's like we have three featured reviews. It can be really fun because you and I have seen all three movies. Yeah. And they're pretty big movies. They're ones that are warranting uh, tons of conversation. Not really. Only one of them is. But yeah. we're still going to talk about all three. And uh, before that, we do have some off topics to get to. Extra Milestone just put out a new episode. Uh, they talked about Breathless, Eyes Without a Face, and Deep Red. Um, Will, I hope you get to get a chance to listen to this episode soon. Three really great uh, discussions. Sam Nolan, host of Extra Milestone. He uh, had on Jason Reed from the Anyway, That's All I Got show they used to do a couple years back. And they had a very interesting discussion about the French New Wave and uh, Dario Argento's film, of course, and Eyes Without a Face, which is such a creepy, wonderful movie. And that is in the podcast stream right now. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I haven't seen Eyes Without a Face, but I have seen Breathless. Obviously, that's great. I've seen it, I think, at least a few times. And uh, Deep Red, I actually just saw for the first time in October because I saw a live score of it from Goblin. So uh, that sounds Whoa, like a lot of fun. Yeah. Huh. Very cool. Very cool. I Yeah, I hope uh, you get a chance to see Eyes Without a Space at some point because it, it really is like genuinely one of the scariest movies I've sure, ever it's seen. It's good. Yeah. 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 Uh, real quick, we did both of us caught a couple of extra things this past week, some things that uh, came out earlier in the week. Um, so not quite as new, but still pretty new. Uh, Will, you saw the new comedy special for Eric Andre, correct? Yeah, uh, one of the few times I actually watched a comedy special. Uh, yeah, I saw his new Netflix special, Legalize Everything, which is uh, based on the stage show that he did. I saw that in November as well. Um, so, I mean, for me, a lot of the bits were fairly familiar just because I had, it was more or less the same show. They just added some more uh, crowd work to make it a little different. But otherwise, it was more or less what I saw in uh, November. And uh, it was a good time. I mean, I don't know. I think it worked better live just because I think his energy is a little bit better in person. It's a little bit more spontaneous and a little bit more uh, true to his style, I think. And um, I don't know. In the special here, I thought it was fine. Like, I mean, it's just kind of hard to compare it. Uh, like so many people are going to be seeing this for the first time. And I'm just seeing it as like, here's him doing this bit in another city. <laughs> uh, so I guess my experience is a little bit different in that regard. But uh, it was a good time. I enjoyed it. It's really short, too. It's like only an like 53 minutes or something. So it's pretty short for a Netflix special. Awesome. Yeah. I saw it on the Netflix uh, recommendations and I did consider looking into it, but I ended up watching a couple other things instead. Uh, I actually watched two new Netflix documentaries that just came out and I really recommend both of them. So the first one is Disclosure Trans Lives on Screen. Uh, this is a new documentary uh, directed and produced by Sam Feeder. And it's really great because it's, uh, you remember Black Horror, um, the 
shutter documentary black yeah black noir the documentary about like horror noir thank you (laughs) Uh, clearly i don't remember it uh uh, but yeah horror noir which is like a documentary about the history of the way african-americans have been portrayed in film and disclosure is kind of that same idea a totally different you know style of documentary of course but it's that same sort of look at film history through the lens of how transgender people have been portrayed in pop culture uh, for many years so not just films but also tv shows and just the wider pop culture uh, gambit and this came out at sundance and uh, I, I didn't have a chance to see it but i heard really good things one of the the main talking heads is laverne cox but you also recognize a lot of other transgender uh, activists and actors so i really recommend watching this because you get such a great glimpse into the really the, how connected transgender life has been with film since the very beginning since the first films came out and it it definitely makes you rethink a lot of the movies you've seen a lot of the cliches and tropes we see when it comes to cross-dressing when it comes to um, how transgender people react when they see themselves on screen both the good and the bad and kind of middle of the road and uh, it was really fascinating stuff very educational because I think uh, I think some people might watch this like who are uh, transgender and they might be like, yeah, I kind of knew a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. But for a lot of people who are not who are not as caught up with uh, what it's like for trans people to see their lives on screen, this is a really good refresher for cisgendered people. So I definitely recommend it to them. It might feel a little bit of like, I don't want to say basic or but maybe a little simplistic for some sure. people who are way more caught up in this. And they might be like, yeah, you know, I knew a lot of this still kind of, you know, you might really like some of the people uh, discussing this and like sharing their stories about growing up, um, knowing that they were, you know, clearly going through something where they wanted to transition and the confusion that can come along with that. When you watch TV shows that sometimes are just really awful about the way they portray, uh, transgender people. So you see a lot of people like, uh, Oh, I should say like Lily Wachowski is in this. And, uh, there was some really interesting discussion with how she was like, you know, dealing with the way the Matrix films have been received over the years and how that kind of conflicts with some of the things that she was thinking of maybe subconsciously when she was making that film uh, with her sister. So, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff in here. There's a lot of movies they talk about that I will never look at the same way again, uh, specifically Boys Don't Cry, hmm. which I I really thought I had a handle on that movie. But hearing people who are transgender talk about that movie is a totally different story. And so I really hope people check it out. Uh, this is on Netflix right now. I highly recommend it. Uh, I'd, get, I'd definitely give it like a very solid B, very high B. And then yeah. I also saw Athlete A. Uh, have you heard about this one? Uh, a little bit. Um, I remember it, this. Did this one also premiere at Sundance? Um, I don't think so. I don't. Okay. I don't remember hearing about it. I think it. I think I heard about it maybe at Tribeca. Okay, uh, that it was, it was going to be at Tribeca, yeah. but it didn't come out uh, because it was canceled, obviously. Mm-hmm. So I think Netflix just sort of like pushed this out um, this past week. But yeah, this is a new documentary from Bonnie Cohen and John Shank. It is about the uh, USA gymnastics scandal. Uh, where Larry Nasser, the just truly despicable gymnastics doctor, uh, was brought to justice for assaulting hundreds yeah. of young female gymnasts 
harrowing stuff. And what I liked about this documentary, uh, you know, I was kind of reticent going into it because I was like, man, this is going to be really depressing. You know, you are sort of getting into this deep dive into a story that is really distressing that, that it happened and it happened to these young women who uh, clearly like were absolutely abused and were violated. And we spend a lot of this documentary sort of like looking into how this guy was able to get away with it. And you see a lot of him through like uh, documentary footage and everything like that. And it's, it's awful. It's awful to see. But what I liked about the documentary is that it did touch on sort of how this could have happened and like the culture of gymnastics and some of the problems that that system needs to address when it comes to like really deep questions about like why gymnasts are sort of viewed as like childlike and sort of the advantages and disadvantages of that. And also like the system of how the Olympics works and how it could have propped up a corrupt uh, abuse of these kids. And like how even though like people were coming forward and saying all of this stuff about Larry Nasser and some of the coaches as well, they were their concerns were never addressed because USA Gymnastics had sort of this like entrenched systematic silencing of any sort of dissent. And the authorities were not alerted to this when they needed to be. And so it's a deep, thorough documentary, really gets to the heart of things. I think some people might criticize it a little bit for meandering here and there and some of that commentary, but I appreciated it because I think that that commentary helped sort of contextualize how this stuff happens. And I think that that's pretty informative. And I think that, you know, assuming that this is a very even-handed documentary in the sense that, of course, it's not on the side of Larry Nasser, which I, I think it would be absolutely atrocious if it was. Uh, and nor is it trying to sort of be like, well, here's his side of the story. No, I mean, it's pretty clear cut, like what happened here. Um, I do appreciate that the journalism in this story is passionate and it's unrelenting, but it's also like, it's very credible, comes across as very credible. So I, act I actually recommend this one quite a bit as well. And so more of a low B, I don't think it's as um, unique uh, as... Um, disclosure, I think disclosure has a little bit more of a format and style that is more enticing and that I think more people will glean some information from that is, uh, maybe newer, more refreshing and interesting. This one is definitely really important. If you don't know a lot about the story, I certainly didn't know all the details, but yeah, if you, if you already have a pretty good grasp on what happened here, this might sort of not be a very useful documentary, but I do think there are some things here and there that you'll get something out of just by watching. So athlete A, it's also a Netflix low B and uh, it's funny, be well, because I think these are the highest grades I'm going to give on Cinemaholics this week. Okay. Yeah. All a right. little little teaser. Sure. Uh, we'll see, though. But all right. Those are, those are some of the extra things we watched this week. Uh, we do have to do a quick birthday shout out uh, before we jump into the reviews. So we have a birthday shout out from Brittany, who just turned 27 this past Saturday. She sent us a, uh, a message, which is very interesting, a very interesting topic to bring up. So here's what she said. Hey, John, Will, and all you other crazy cinemaholics for my birthday shout out i would like to know what is a genre of movie or tv show you wish we would get more of? love the show and as a side note i'm really anxious to find out how mr millennial and his friends are doing i am assuming the worst due to their silence Brittany from maine uh well should we bring yeah very interesting friends? well i don't know where they are say uh, well let's see i mean let me see if i can find mr millennial give me a minute <laughs> hey mr are millennial really <laughs> are you here Hey, what's up? It's me, Mr. Millennial. Mr. Millennial, we haven't heard from you in so long. Are you okay? Yeah, well, I just, uh, I've just been chilling. Not a lot to do here in quarantine. Are you wearing your mask, Mr. Millennial? Oh, I wear it all the time, even when I'm not in public. Good job, Mr. Millennial. We appreciate it. Oh, thank you. you. 
I, it's a little hard to breathe right now because I'm wearing it right now. So I'm going to I'm going to uh, step back for a bit. Yeah, go away. OK, Will, where are you? Hey, I'm back. What's up? Ah, uh, Will, I missed you. I just I don't know that Mr. Millennial guy creeps me out. Oh, really? He, he gives me a little That's bit a little of bit. a little bit of a hard time as well. <laughs> well, it's just us again, which means we can talk frankly. So. All right. So the question Brittany asked was, would you like, I would like to know what's a genre of movie or TV show you wish we would get more of. Uh, what do you think, Will? What would, what would you like to get more of genre wise? Uh, I mean, one genre I've really grown to like a lot the past few years that I feel like hasn't really been uh, prevalent a lot nowadays is Gallo or Jallo. I never pronounce it right. Um, Jallo. Jallo. Yeah. Uh, obviously, like some of my favorite horror movies, uh, we just talked about Deep Red, um, Suspiria. I mean, pretty much any movie from Dario. Argento and a lot of other Italian filmmakers and not Italian filmmakers. And we, we should probably say like we, some people listening might not know what Jalo films are. So if you don't know, um, Jalo refers to like mystery fiction films, usually like horror. It's kind of like a callback to like those paperback novels that uh, used to be really big in Italy. And they're called Jalo because Jalo means yellow. And they were like, they had like yellow covers and stuff. And so, yeah, like you said, Deep Red, Suspiria. There's also films like Dress to Kill and What Have You Done to Solange? Um, I think a, probably a big one is probably like A Lizard and uh, A Woman's Skin. Uh, there's a lot of really good uh, good ones to seek out if you want to start getting into Jalo films if you haven't already. Yeah, I mean, apparently, I mean, I, don't, I haven't heard this confirmed, but I heard that James Wan's new movie is supposed to be like secretly a Jalo film, but I haven't heard that confirmed. Um, so if that's the case, I'll be the first big one we've gotten from an American studio and who knows how long, but um, yeah, it's a fairly uh, dated trend. Now we haven't really seen as many films like that. If yeah. they do do that, it's kind of more of like a genre throwback. So I'd like to see someone do that in a way it's like, you know, not solely playing nostalgia. Like, like you said, I think the new Suspiria kind of, I mean, it was obviously based on a Jallo film. So uh, I had Jallo influences, but it was obviously going for a different thing stylistically. But um, yeah, I would really like to see that again. Didn't Dario Argento make a film called Giallo like I over believe, a decade yeah. ago? Yeah, wasn't <laughs> so, uh, Adrian Brody in that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't see it, but uh, yeah, yeah, it is pretty on the nose. But yeah, so Giallo films, I would love to see like a modern Giallo film, you know, kind of something, you know, that calls back to it, but isn't, you know, slave into nostalgia. That would be really interesting. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I couldn't think of anything in the last few years that's come out that would probably fit yeah. that bill. But hey, maybe somebody listening might actually know of a small one that we haven't heard of. Right. I mean, the only one I've seen recently uh, was Knife Plus Heart that came out uh, a couple years ago. Uh, but uh, that, yeah, one's also, that, one. that was also a fairly nostalgic film as well. So. Yeah, I would like to see someone tackle in a way that's, you know, reverent to its elders, but also like trying to do its own thing. Uh, yeah. And that movie does to an extent. But yeah, I mean, one that's not as nostalgic as the other ones that we've seen of late. Uh, I don't want I don't want to be a broken record on this question, because I think I've said like two weeks out of this month that I love swashbuckling films. I wish we had more of them. So I'll say something a little different. Uh, you all know that I want more films like Zorro and Princess Bride and that kind of style. But one, one, another film genre that I really wish we got more of, and I think this one, we might be getting some new ones soon, is medieval horror. You know, like any sort of horror that takes place in a realistic medieval setting. Uh, we do get some things that are like, like we get horror that's in the past. Like we get things like The Witch mm -hmm. and The Lighthouse. Uh, I'm just saying Robert Eggers films. Sure. Um, but yeah, you know, like films that like uh, like Army of Darkness is probably a good example, but maybe something a little bit more serious than that. Maybe something that's kind of like like one of the things I really liked about The Nun 
is even though that's not in a medieval time period, you spend a lot of time in this like really old medieval castle. And that's a horror film that's just like, I find that aesthetic very interesting and we don't get a lot of it. Uh, kind of reminded me, it's one of the things I wanted to like more about something like Crimson Peak, for example. Um, and I, I know some people are looking forward to uh, Robert Eggers' next film, which is called The Northman, which will possibly have some of those elements. And I know like The Green Knight yeah, is a medieval one. film that I don't know how much horror is in it. I think it's going to have some like horror elements. But yeah, that's definitely a film I'm really anticipating because it might be fitting that bill as well. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that that's another genre that I haven't really seen a lot of recently, let alone at all. Like I said, like, I think it's Army tough. Is, yeah, it's like the biggest one I've it's seen. Tough from to make, it's tough to make a, a horror film with that big of a budget because usually horror films, they make them on the cheap by design but if you're doing something medieval that's you start spending a lot of money so i can see why a lot of people might look at that and you know be like well you know that's not really uh worth it for us to make um although one film i i forgot about is actually apostle with dan stevens who we'll be talking about later in this film apostle kind of gets into this a little bit like, yeah that's, I like that one. that's not a movie i loved but i definitely enjoyed it for those like like old school ele- like horror elements come in that sort of time period did you um, mention one? I haven't heard of this. So I was just looking it up. The Headhunter. Headhunter. No, I don't think I've heard of that one. I don't know. I guess it came out last year. It's apparently a medieval horror film that came out fairly recently. Hmm. It, I would love to look into it. You know, I, it just it's just one of those things where if if they are making those films, they're not making them with like the bigger budgets. Like I would think of uh, what was that movie? The uh, over not overkill or. Uh, it was a couple years ago. It was like World War II kind of like zombie horror. Oh what yeah. Um, what was it? Over over Oh yeah. No, it was like, ah oh, man, I'm I'm blanking on the name of it. I really like that movie too. Uh, but yeah, that was the one where Overlord. Uh, with a Overlord. Thank you. Yeah, with Kurt Russell's son. And yeah, that that movie, like that kind Quiet of Earth. movie, but in like medieval times, would be really cool. Yeah, that'd be interesting. I wasn't crazy about the film, but I definitely like the idea behind it. And I would like to see more films like it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. All right. So let's get into our main reviews for the week, starting with Irresistible. Democrats are getting their asses kicked. We need some way to road test a more rural friendly message. If you can't live your principles in the bad times, I guess they aren't principles. They're just hobbies. Nice. John Wayne and a tractor have a baby, and all you can say is nice. Really oh nice. my God, it's nice. so nice. Colonel Jack Hastings is our key back into the great now swing state of Wisconsin. He just doesn't know it yet. Can I be completely honest with you? No bull. Be nice. My daughter's here. That was your daughter with her arm up the cow. Guys like me don't know how to talk to guys like you. Do a bottle opener? That's a, no, it's just a twist. Oh, twist off. Yeah, 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 I know. Maybe he does need a bottle. Maybe use your, Probably. your vest. All right, Irresistible is a new political comedy. It was written and directed by John Stewart, his first film since he made, uh, was it Rosewater? Yeah. Yeah, that was his directorial debut. Yeah, yeah. So he kind of, he retired from The Daily Show in 2015, stepped down from that. Trevor Noah took his place. And since then, he's been kind of doing like little things here and there, you know, you know, like a, a clearly not been making a lot of films or anything like that. But we, we see him pop up, you know, on like late night television every once in a while. And this movie seems like something that it's kind of interesting because 
it refers to the 2018 midterms as something that hasn't happened yet. So it, it sort of felt like to me, this is a movie he wanted to make several years ago, but it's only just now like finished, which I thought was strange because it picks up in 2016 and we meet Steve Carell's character, who is this democratic strategist who worked for Hillary Clinton. And of course he has his wounds licked because Hillary Clinton, of course, lost the presidential election in 2016. And the movie sort of picks up not too long after that. So that takes place in, it seems like 2017 slash maybe early 2018. And this Steve Carell guy, he's like this DC insider who's trying to, you know, drum up support for Democrats again. He's trying to appeal to the heartland because those Rust Belt swing states are what tipped uh, Donald Trump's favor in winning the election. And so he goes to a small town in Wisconsin after one of his staffers shows him a video of this guy who might be like the next face of the Democratic Party. And he decides he wants to help that guy, played by Chris Cooper, and his daughter, played by Mackenzie Davis, try to win this really small campaign in this struggling small town in order to help improve the image of the Democrats nationwide. So that's kind of the the deal of the movie. We also have uh, Rose Byrne come in as this sort of like Kellyanne Conway Fox News strategist who sort of just like comes in and like lies about everything, has no remorse for it, but she has like this sort of like weird uh, energy with Steve Carell. I think they're they were sort of playing the George Conway, Kellyanne Conway tension a little bit there. And then we also have a couple of recognizable faces in like Topher Grace and Natasha Leone, who uh, work for Steve Carell's like political apparatus, and uh, that that's really the deal with this movie. It's it's sort of just this. Uh, it's kind of like swing vote, you know, where it's sort of like both yeah. sides have of the political aisle have their problems, and really like. Uh, if people could just sort of get along, uh, a lot of our problems would be solved. And I think that's a reason why a lot of people are coming out against this movie and saying right. they really dislike it. And they, they're saying this is the wrong movie for 2020. I think that's what a lot of people are saying. Like if this had come out a couple of years ago, I think maybe people would have been more receptive to this. But because we're in the middle of like one of the most contentious political times of our time, I've seen a lot of people say that this feels a little old fashioned, a little dated. Uh, but I don't know. Will Ashen, what do, what do you think of Irresistible? Did you succeed? And resisting it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think this is a film where it's like expectations versus reality in a lot of ways, like even like the film itself is kind of playing up with that, like you said, with the the film directly referencing like these liberal minded people who had their their world shaken by what they didn't proceed to happen, which was that Donald Trump would win the election. This is a film where I think when people heard it announced um, like, like similar to Rosewater when that was announced, like that John Stewart was going to make a movie. It's like, Oh, you think he's going to make a comedy? Well, it's like, no, that's going to be a pretty serious drama film. Um, that it was, it, I thought it was all right. I mean, I thought it was pretty good. Like it, it definitely didn't have, um, the most confident filmmaking from John Stewart, but I think it worked because of the performances and because it had a very earnest, uh, approach. And I think that's more or less how I feel about this film as well, which is that, when people are going into this, I think they're going to expect like some like visceral like attack on like all the like the right and like all these fairly right leaning people and like, you know, just kind of like sticking it up to Donald Trump and stuff like that. And the film is ultimately more a attack or a satirization if it is a satire on more left leaning people who see themselves as like well-meaning type but they ultimately aren't really in the best interests of the american people or like the quote-unquote heartland of america and for me i think that's more interesting and more potentially worthwhile as a, a commentary 
than something like that was just, you know, like a like satire of the White House, like, you know, like him doing his take on like what's going on in Donald Trump's administration. Um, I think this is more like I think this would actually reach the audience it's intended to get and might actually say something that reaches them. But it's also one of those things where we have to look at the execution, which is, I think, ultimately not quite as sturdy as it could have been. The biggest problem is that as a comedy, it's just not particularly funny. And the weird thing about it is that it's not even really trying to be that funny at times. Like the jokes are fairly mild mannered. Like there aren't really a lot of broad jokes. And when there are broad jokes, they, they kind of feel like out of nowhere. It's just kind of like, oh, OK, that's kind of an odd decision for this scene. <laughs> uh, so I think that's also something that's throwing people aback as well. But I don't know. There is something about its fairly modest approach that. I think really took me in a good way, which is that like, I, I never felt like the characters in the small town, this like Wisconsin area were ever like stereotypical or like kind of like played too broadly. And if they were, there's kind of a, uh, a point behind it that without giving anything away made it fairly interesting as far as like what the like optics are of it. Um, I, I think one of the big reasons why I was a little bit more endeared to this film than others was Chris Cooper's performance which, I mean, Chris Cooper's always great. I mean, we just saw him in A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood and Little Women do some really good stuff there, but he's always good. And I think his approach to his uh, character is a lot more grounded and honed than what it might have been on the paper. So I think that brings a lot of life and a lot of uh, honesty to this uh, film and this performance. Uh, and I also really enjoyed Mackenzie Davis as his daughter as well, who's always good. Um, yeah, I mean, like you, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm back and forth. Like every time there's something I want to praise, there's something I also want to criticize. So yeah. I, I, I'm not like fully enamored or fully critical of the film, but I definitely find myself more receptive to it than a lot of critics I've seen and read so far. Yeah, I think this film definitely won me over in the end. Uh, we don't want to give anything away, but I think what it ends up doing by the end of the movie is it really subverts your expectations with its own formula. And I think you could argue that it's a little shoehorned, um, but I actually, you know, the more I think about this film, the more I'm like, no, it really is building up to its main message. And I do agree with you. The, the big flaw is that it's just not a very funny comedy, which is sad. I, I wish it was. I wish it was, uh, you know, tons of laughs, which you would expect from Jon Stewart. But yeah, for whatever reason, the, the jokes are pretty hit or miss, mostly miss. Uh, but I, it's, I was never like bored watching this. I was never feeling like I'm wasting my time. It wasn't it wasn't painful. Uh, and I think that it helps that it's not super long. It's it's only about 100 minutes and uh, there's good performances here. And I do think there are funny things. There are enough funny things here. Um, and there are a lot of shots taken at more right leaning people. So I didn't mention this, but like the town itself is like a right wing town. That's how it's portrayed. And I think the funniest things about this movie are when it goes after the media, when it goes after uh, specifically like people like political pundits. And so that's why the criticism doesn't make sense to me that this thing, both sides, uh, Democrats and Republicans, I think it's a, I think it's me, it's way harsher on right-leaning conservatives and it's more sympathetic to Democrats while also like knocking them down a peg. But I think it's kind of like the hunt where I think people sort of look at that as a surface level, like they superficially say that it's equal to both political sides when I don't think it really is. Like, I think it's actually in that movie going after a specific type of liberal a little bit more. And in this movie, I think it's the same thing, but it's going, it's a little bit harsher on uh, like Republican people. But then at the very end, it's sort of saying like, 
honestly, it doesn't really matter. Like all of this stuff is made up. Like it's just a game. It's it's not really like the things that will like solve the country have nothing to do with what team you're on. It's all about sort of really like people kind of coming together and solving like real problems and sort of putting all the political stuff to the side, which that's the message that I think resonated with me a bit more. But I think some people are so entrenched in like the way they view like their partisan you know, way partisan life right now that that's not the movie they want right now. So I wouldn't begrudge anybody who finds this movie uh, less than enjoyable for that reason. But I do think this is going to appeal to way more people outside of like, honestly, and I, I'm not saying this in a, a mean way, but outside of liberal bubbles, I think people are going to get a lot out of this. So I think it's an easier film to recommend for that reason. But I still think it's pretty flawed like as a film, like you said, in the execution. Yeah, I mean, it's a type of film that seems like it's going to have the expiration date of milk. Like, I don't think this is a type of film that's going to, like, last, um, like, the years. Like you said, it's even kind of dated now and just came out, like, two days ago. So it's not a film that's going to, like, it's not a film for the times. Like, it's of the times, and it's probably going to maybe even be relevant for, like, a week of that. But, I mean, that's what politics are. It's, like, you know, there's a short lifespan for politics anyway. So I think Jon Stewart knows that anyway. I think he just took his shot. And like I said, I think people are just expecting it to be like a broad satire. And I don't even think it's really a comedy. I just took it more as like a lighthearted, lighthearted drama more than, than yeah. direct comedy, which I think is what differentiates this from the hunt for me, which is that film. Like I said, maybe it's not quite as both sideism as I was making it out the scene before, but I do think that film, like it's a little bit more cringy because it's trying to be like kind of more surface level, just like, Hey, both these sides are kind of weird. Uh, and yeah. to me, like that doesn't really add much to conversation. This is actually say- saying something without giving away that I think is relevant and something that I think a lot of left leaning people should be hearing. But again, I mean, it's not just the message here. Uh, I, I don't want to get that, that listener in a tiff if that's, uh, what oh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> right, right. Fine. like, I think it's a fairly decent film. Like, I think, like, I mean, like, like I said, like, I think Steve Carell's fine. Like, I, I I love Rose Byrne. I don't think her performance was the best here, but I think that's just because her character is so much broader and so much it's meant to be so much more satirical that she just doesn't really fit into the groove of the film. Um, and in a way that I, I think might have been a detriment to the film. And again, I think that that kind of adds to the tonal problems that people might be perceiving is that I, I think it, it's it at times kind of goes for that more satirical thing that people are expecting of it to the point where it does kind of confuse it a little bit. But Overall, I mean, I think it's fine. Like I said, like, it's not what I'm going to be like reminiscing on for the years to come. But um, I think it's a little bit better than people are giving it credit for. I think I agree, actually. And, you know, I think, honestly, the more I think about this movie and the more I kind of look at it, I, I think that what rubs people the wrong way is that there is a sort of like obsession with Heartland voters because of what happened in 2016 um, from people who are part of communities that... Um, are dealing with the same things, plus like on top of that, even more issues. And it just feels like sometimes like people like John Stewart and like establishment sort of Democrats are like, are really just sort of how do we win over these heartland voters? And in a way, I think actually that's a reason to kind of like this movie because it sort of points out that heartland voters are a lot smarter and a lot more, you know, they they shouldn't be like condescended to like, that's the whole point. And like the whole idea that you can just win them over by making a bunch of false promises to them, you know, or ignoring them outright because you just think they're all terrible people Mm -hmm. is the wrong way to go about things because they are human beings. And I think sometimes people just sort of dismiss 
that entire like section of the country because they think that they all are just terrible human beings, but they've never even met them. So that's the, that's the sort of thing that I think this film accomplishes. Um, and I, I guess it ties into, cause you wrote a written review of this, which is really good. You wrote about irresistible and like why you liked it a bit better than a lot of other critics. And the thing that stuck out to me about that is that you, you do point out that John Stewart has a point he's trying to make and he makes it like he doesn't, that, that's the thing that you can appreciate about this film, even aside from all of the, the stuff that doesn't work, is the message and the thing he's trying to say comes through pretty clearly. And you might not agree with it, or you might think it's the wrong message for right now, but you know, it he still makes that point pretty well, I think. And the last thing I'll say too, I mean, if you want a better version of this movie, if you do want a, uh, a political sort of movie about this sort of like apolitical divide, and uh, you want something that ages better, uh, check out Primary Colors or rewatch it. That's a really good movie from the late 90s uh, that really, I think that movie holds up pretty well. I don't know if you're a fan or if you've seen I it, seen but it. I, I recommend it. That's uh, from Mike Nichols. And I, I just think that it really captures, like when you rewatch that movie today, I suspect you'll be like, man, <laughs> we really saw a lot of this stuff coming. And because that's also a film that's sort of about how um, it's all really such a game. Like the people, all the pundits and the journalists, um, Republican and Democrat, like they hang out. Like a lot of them are friends. A lot of them are putting on a performative show because that's just what gets people involved. And it's so annoying to me that like we fight all these battles on their behalf. And I'm sure I fall into that trap all the time where, but if you actually like look behind the surface, like a lot of these people are just sort of doing it to get a rise mm-hmm. out of the public. And um, I think that that's just a shame because this this country has a lot of problems and I think we're pretty far away from solving a lot of them. So that's our political review of primary wow, <laughs> or not primary colors of uh, irresistible. Um, I'm, I'm like a pretty high C plus. I'm almost at a B minus, but yeah, if this movie was just a little bit funnier, I'd have an easier time recommending. Um, but I still enjoyed it. What did, what did you think? Well, uh, I was a low B minus on it overall, just because like so many movies we've talked about and so many movies we've seen, they just kind of come and go like they're out one year or in one year out the other. And it's just like, okay, fine, whatever. Like it, it, whether I enjoy them much or not, it, it doesn't really leave an impact. This is one I've been reminiscing on, like at least for, cause I saw this about like two weeks ago. So like for the past couple of weeks, I have been thinking about it. You know, like I said, I'm not always favorable on it. I, I do recognize the flaws. I do see a lot of the issues that people are bringing up. And like I said, it's not a film that I think is going to uh, be remarked upon or revisited a lot. I think it's a film for now. And if you like it or you don't, it's going to be a part of this time. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I can see why it's it's not quite as hard hitting as people are expecting it to be. I think in, by design, it's meant to be a lot smaller and modest than people are expecting it to be. So I think that's kind of informing some people's reviews as well. Um, but I enjoyed it more than I didn't. And I do enjoy a lot of the performances in here. And I do like that. It does have kind of a more sensitive touch than a lot of these comedies that, uh, that kind of have the sledgehammer approach, which is like knocking everything down. And this is more trying to find the kind of subtle humanity and things and kind of having a broader point that I think, uh, is a little bit more interesting than your average comedy. So like I said, I mean, it's not one I give like a hearty recommendation to, but, I think I'm a little bit more receptive to what John Stewart was doing here. And I, I would like to see him do some more films. Cause I did enjoy Rosewater, like I said, but in the end, I mean, I feel like the better satirical or political satires tend to be movies like the death of Stalin or something that, that is a little bit reserved from what's going on now. Like movies that yeah. are directly commenting on now and explicitly say so tend to feel more dated as a response to me. Whereas like movies like that, uh, tend to, I think have a little bit more, uh, 
stability and I think are a little bit easier to recognize what's going on, but have some um, distance from it at the same time. So, I mean, I would say check out The Death of Solomon. <laughs> uh, it's on Netflix now, <laughs> but uh, Irresistible is not bad. I mean, I don't know if I'd pay 20 bucks for it. I think this is like a solid Netflix rental if it ever comes on Netflix or like whatever streaming service. I think that's the best way. To yeah, I was going to say, but... we don't rent on Netflix. <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. you can, I guess. I'm showing my age, I guess. Um, <laughs> uh, just, get yeah. on your, just get on your Quickster account. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's like it's like a Redbox film. It's like. If you got it for yeah, two yeah. bucks, it's like, yeah, it's fine. It was, it wasn't really like, I mean, it's kind of better that's not going to theaters because I think if I did see it at theaters, maybe I would have been a little bit more upset that I like went out of my way to see it. Whereas like getting a screener of it and just checking out my home, I'm like, oh, okay, you know, it's, it's agreeable, it's fine. Like I think if you just happen to check it out, uh, sometime in the next couple months, I think you'll f- think it's fine. But yeah, by no means is it uh, a redeeming or irresistible classic. It's, uh, it's just fine. That's irresistible. I could easily see myself bumping that up to a B minus. Uh, I'm still kind of on the fence between C plus and B minus. It's really close, but yeah, I uh, I agree with a lot of what you just said there. So uh, maybe you want to check out Irresistible as well. It is now on video on demand for rental. All right, let's talk about our next film, My Spy. I'm just not that good with people. Well, there is one thing I'm good at. The mission was to find out what they knew, but that's kind of difficult now that you killed everyone. I just don't think you're cut out for the intelligence. This is your last shot. How's school going? Oh my god, you have jelly all over your face. I'm definitely posting that on Insta. Is it too late to homeschool me? Are you CIA? How'd you get in here? Okay, she has a camera. She might be streaming. If Kim finds out we got made by a nine-year-old, my career's over. What's the option? Kill her. Make it look like an accident. Maybe the stairs. What? Wow, still recording. We can cut a deal. I want you to teach me how to be a spy. Just to be clear, this is a one-time arrangement. Never again. I can't promise. So what's first? Shooting range, obstacle course? Or how to walk away from an explosion? A lie detector test. I can smell a lie. Endorphins release an odor. And the ultimate tell, the slightest blink of an eye. I mean, like this? JJ, I admire all of your tattoos. Stop. JJ, I believe you that you've never taken steroids. Damn, she's good. My Spy is a film that technically sort of almost came out in March uh, because you saw a screener for it. And this was right before the COVID-19 pandemic started shutting down theaters. It was like right before this movie was going to have its theatrical release. So you saw this film months ago, uh, about four, almost four months ago. And it's just now come out on Amazon Studios. It is a new action comedy directed by Peter Seagal. Uh, Peter Seagal, of course, you know from like Nutty Professor 2, Tommy Boy, Anger Management, 50 First Dates, Longest Yard, Get Smart, a lot of comedies. Uh, he is a, a very prolific producer at this point. And his new film uh, stars Dave Bautista, Chloe Coleman, Kristen Schaal, Ken Jeong. Uh, very, you know, uh, the kind of cast I guess you would expect for like a comedy like this, kind of harkening back to films like Game Plan, you know, where like The Rock is paired up with his pretentious kid. And in this case, uh, we have Dave Bautista in that sort of like muscle guy role who is a CIA spy who gets his cover blown by this young 
uh, a nine-year-old kid played by Chloe Coleman. And she uses this, uh, this, uh, her knowledge of him being in the CIA to basically convince him to do a bunch of stuff for her, uh, including like training her how to become a spy hijinks ensue. a very basic film, very formulaic. You, you know, you know, this movie inside out before you've seen it. Everything in here has been done before. Um, but I'm going to say, Will, because I have a feeling you don't like this film very much. I really enjoyed it. I I watched this and I looked at it for what it was. And I was like, there's nothing in here that I can say. This is the film cinema has been waiting for. Uh, there really is nothing remarkable in this film. But I think everything in this is basically average. And it was the kind of film that I wanted to kind of watch at the moment I watched it, where it's just a chill Sunday morning. I'm watching Dave Batista, who is not much of a people person, hanging out with a precocious kid. There are decent laughs here. And you can just sort of, in my case, shrug off all of the the cheesy stuff. This is just like that kind of family comedy, like pacifier and all that, that is really approachable, really accessible. Nothing terrible about it. Nothing great about it. And I guess to some people that might be the issue is that it's just so safe. But I, I'm not going to lie, Will. I kind of liked this one. And uh, well, I don't know. What, what did you think of My Spy? All these months later, you've had so much time to collect your thoughts on My Spy. I'm ready to hear what you have to say. Yeah, I mean, this is such a weird episode for me because we're talking about like one film I saw two weeks ago, a film I saw literally like four months ago. And then next, we're going to talk about a movie I just saw yesterday. So it's like <laughs> going like so uh, far. And they're all like, like you said, like kind of fairly like old fashioned comedies. Like they all feel like something that would have came out in like the yeah, 2000s, a little bit. 2000s. So it's like a very weird episode for that. But um, yeah, this movie, I, I mean, I didn't really go in with much expectations. Like it was an early screening when I saw it. So just like, OK, I don't know, whatever. Dave Batista. It seems like all these action stars are former wrestlers. Like there's something in their contract where it's like you can do all these kind of intense action movies but at some point we're gonna call you and you have to do like some kid yeah focus like family film i don't know what it is like i don't know why this happens but this one for me like like you said it's fairly formulaic it's fairly uh cliched and how it goes about it but there's also something about it just, just feels like a lot more tonally off for me in that like this film it, it's pg-13 and I thought that might have just been because like, yeah, like they made like a sex joke or something like, oh, oh golly mm-hmm. gee. But like, it's a fairly violent film for like a yeah. family oriented, which kind of took me back in the yeah. beginning. Which was like, okay. <laughs> for sure. There's like legit, like tons of death. Like at the beginning of the film. Yeah. Like a, at least like three people die from what I remember. It's like, okay. Um, More than that. It's like a whole like gang of, it's a ton of people yeah. dead. Like at least yeah. maybe a dozen. Yeah, it's like, oh, okay, is this is this a kid's film? <laughs> like, uh, if I, did I get into the wrong Dave Batista movie? Um, yeah, so it starts off like that. And it's like, eh, I don't know, it's not, even, not, not a particularly bad action scene, but just feels off. And it just informs what I feel like is the rest of the movie, where it's just like, it's going back to those cliches where it's like the, the jokes are like, you know, the broad fart joke, whatever things. And then you'll have like moments where it's like Dave Batista is like threatening to murder a nine-year-old kid. And it's just like, uh, okay, like... I'm, I'm not crazy about either lane, but pick one. <laughs> but that's what I see. That's the sort of thing that I responded to is that it really does just go for broke on being tonally dissonant. And I don't know, for me, it, it kind of worked. I don't know. I, maybe that says something more about me. I don't know. I just felt like, like younger kids, I think are going to be bored by like the actual spy stuff. And like adults aren't really going to be engaged by the kids stuff. 
So I just don't really know. Like, is this more for kids or is this more like for the parents? Like, I don't really know who it's intended for. For John. For John. Yeah. <laughs> for John. I, I, I get what you're saying. <laughs> I get what you're saying. I, I mean, I watched stuff like this when I was a kid, you know, like kind of like action movies I was oh, too sure. young for. And I think that's probably what they had in mind. You know, like kids, will, kids will watch stuff that's pretty messed up. And sure. uh, even though this film goes a little far in some of those cases, I do think that, I don't know, I think there is stuff in here that the kids will be like, let's watch My Spy again. And parents be I like, <laughs> am I a bad parent? It's not even that I'm like offended by. I just find it weird. Like, I just don't like I don't think the comedy is very good. Like, I just don't think it's a good film on its own. I just don't really get like that would make it what would be a fairly generic film that like is whatever genre. Uh, like, it just feels like now there's like this added tonal clash where it's just like not only is this like not really grooving for me and not my thing, but just like I don't even know how to categorize this. Like, I wouldn't even really feel like younger kids would even dig it that much. And like you said, maybe they would because like I grew up with a lot of films like this, like they're fairly like uh, adult leaning, but are meant for kids at the same time. I so. mean, preteens, like I think preteens would probably enjoy this because preteens probably really like Dave Bautista from the Marvel movies. But then why not make the the central kid like 12 instead of nine? I think just they wanted to cast Chloe Coleman in particular. And she is kind of like almost preteen. It's like kind of on the edge. I don't know. I, I think that you would still I don't think a preteen would not watch this just because the kid is a little no, bit I, younger. I'm not I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, like, if that was the intent, why not mm -hmm. make the kid older? Like, I just don't get that. I think I think because the contrast is funny. Like, it's funny to see her at, right. at various instances, like outsmart this guy. And I, I think it would that would lose some of its shine if it was like not as you know you know what i'm saying like i think I they just cast it based on like the poster <laughs> looking the way sure. that it looks yeah that's, well, that's the thing yeah and that's just like it's not really my thing <laughs> like at the end of the day like these are just kind of nitpicks because i just feel like the movie is just not my my disco like it's just i don't really like kind of broad comedies like this where i can tell what jokes are going to come up like it's just very slapstick heavy stuff that like i'm not against peter seagull stuff like i enjoy the naked gun movies a lot um, I really enjoy 51st Dates. Uh, I remember enjoying that uh, when I was younger. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It just it wasn't really my thing. Like at the end of the day, like I think it has flaws. Like I think it's not a good film, but it's also just not something that just screws with me. And I find the weird intensiveness of the action scenes to kind of be more off putting than charming. But uh, if, if that's what endears people, then so be it. <laughs> so be it. I wash my hands. Uh, no, I, oh, I, I did ask him because that was when the <laughs> things were getting pretty bad with the coronavirus. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, I, uh, I, honestly, I did. I just found this funnier, I guess. Like I, it is very generic, broad humor, but I think there are, there are enough good jokes to keep it moving. And yeah, this is just another case where I was never like, I want to stop watching this. I don't want to watch. Uh, I'm so bored by this. I mean, because I know what what's going to happen before it happens, because most people will. But I did think that they they put in some clever jokes and, you know, here and there. And uh, I just think Dave Bautista, I, I think he's just he has that sort of gift for making like getting laughs over very little material. And I like I appreciated that in this movie. They, he wasn't just trying to do the same thing that Dwayne the Rock Johnson has done, that Vin Diesel's done, that John Cena has done. He he has his own sort of brand of like former pro wrestler uh, being comedic, and his whole thing is that like he puts his foot in his mouth and he's just kind of like socially awkward. Um, where th that has we've seen that before, but his version of it is a little bit more earnest, and I kind of bought it a little bit more and. 
you know, obviously this is not a great movie. I mean, <laughs> the, the emotional undercurrent is not particularly strong. Um, but yeah, there, there were moments where I was, uh, I was definitely chuckling a bit and I liked these characters enough so that I think this is an easy recommend to families where families of like parents and like teenagers or preteens, if you have like, you know, older, younger kids who can deal with the violence, I'm sure a lot of them can. I think this is a pretty easy watch, especially because it's on Prime Video. So like I compare it to some of the other stuff we we've talked about like you don't have to spend any money to rent it it's it's pretty accessible yeah i do be i do believe it's at some drive-in so i think they they gave it a decent theatrical drive-in through rollout though to be clear but um yeah i mean the only thing i'll add to that is that i do think i agree with you that dave batista i don't think this is like a cash grab for him like i think he is earnestly interested in doing this um like i think he just wanted to make something that was like in his brand but also kind of appealing to a younger audience i mean granted i mean he did guardians of galaxy so i guess it's also kind of uh something that's a little bit for the kids as well but yeah i mean like i said at the end of the day this is just not my thing <laughs> i guess the opposite of you is like if i wasn't watching this in the theater i probably would have shut it off like halfway through like i i just wasn't really engaging with it i i and with everything going on at the, at the time like it just wasn't like something that was uh i was really the get my mind off of things and have a good time with it was just like okay well this just has the distinction of being the last movie i saw in a traditional theater so other than that it really didn't uh do much for me so i i'd give it uh, a pretty low c well i i gotta say i think that there is an audience for this it's funny because i was telling you in our uh we, we were chatting earlier in the week but yeah when, when this dropped uh, i remember like i was hanging out with uh, my fiance's family and uh, we were playing a game and I overheard like a bunch of stuff coming from the living room and it turned out her dad was watching this movie. So clearly, Will Ashton, you are out of touch. With, I, didn't uh, say, <laughs> I, I mean, to be clear, I never said it doesn't have an audience. I said this is not a Will yeah, Ashton yeah. movie. This is not my thing. But of I'm course, sure other people are going to like it. Fine. Whatever. <laughs> totally. Totally. I, I think some people will like it. I think other people will definitely be like, why the heck are they arguing about my spot? Just get to Eurovision already. Um, sure. But yeah, I'm. <laughs> I'm a pretty high C plus. I think this is pretty enjoyable. Very close to B minus as well. Um, Cause I laughed more in this than irresistible. It may not have as good a message, really. but it made me laugh. And I like Dave Batista a lot. So I'm a pretty easy target for a movie like this. So that is my spy, uh, a C from will and a maybe B minus from John. I'll keep that a mystery. Okay. For now. <laughs> B plus. All right. Let's get into our last review. We're on their toes. For next episode. <laughs> we're going to start getting, yeah. we're going to start getting emails and yeah. Yeah, tweets. Just tell us what he thought of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Don't keep us waiting. Um, but all right. At the risk of keeping the listeners in suspense, let's get into probably the biggest movie to come out this weekend. Yeah. And, you know, we actually talked about, is this really the featured review? It, it, this is the number one movie on Netflix right now. That's right. We're talking about Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga. Ever since we were children, we've had one dream. Winning the Eurovision Song Contest. All right, everyone. I am Lars. This is Secret. We are Fire Saga. Who wants to hear a Eurovision song? All of Iceland thinks we are a joke. That's not true. And my father is ashamed of me. No, he's not. He looked me into the eyes and said, I am ashamed of you. Maybe he was drunk. He said, and you might think that I'm drunk, but I am dead sober. Idiot. 
Officially, Fire Saga will be representing Iceland at Eurovision this year. I hate them! Absolutely terrible. They're old, disgusting people. But we have no choice. So we're in. Yeah. 42 countries, hundreds of performers, and a worldwide audience of 180 million. This is Eurovision. Uh, like we mentioned in the teaser for last week, this is the latest film from David Dopkin, uh, pretty well known for making films like Wedding Crashers and Shanghai Nights. Uh, a lot of f- uh, films, of course, with uh, Will Ferrell. Well, and no. this is his newest film, which is kind of like a, a musical comedy. It's a co- very broad comedy. It's kind of that same sort of Will Ferrell movie. Will Ferrell's in this, of course, where he is in an occupation doing sort of outlandish things. So Blades of Glory and Talladega Nights and Semi-Pro. It's like that kind of format. We've seen him do this how many times? And along with him, we have Rachel McAdams and their childhood friends who they ever since they watched ABBA in the 1970s perform on Eurovision, they've always wanted to represent their country, Iceland, uh, because they're both Icelandic in this movie, not American, funny, uh, in the Eurovision Song Contest. And uh, Pierce Brosnan, who plays Will Ferrell's father, for some reason, even though they look about the same age, uh, they, he, he is not about this. He is super against it. Um, but they, through a matter of uh, pretty ridiculous circumstances, find themselves competing for Eurovision. And uh, they meet some pretty colorful characters, including Dan Stevens, as one of the most, uh, one of the breakout roles of 2020, I, I would have to say. We'll have to get into that more. But uh, yeah, a lot of other side roles in this. Demi Lovato has a really fun recurring gag here. And uh, there's a lot of like unknown actors you probably don't recognize who are absolutely hysterical. And I, I first thing I'm going to ask you, Will, do you do you do you, have you ever watch Eurovision? The song contest? Yeah, the no, real I've one. Not. Yeah, I've I've never seen a single thing of Eurovision. So we're kind of we're not super equipped to comment on <laughs> that. But I know one thing I have talked to a couple people who do love Eurovision. And they watch it every year. And uh, a few of them have said, yeah, it's sad because there was no Eurovision this year. It was supposed to be come out in May, but it was canceled because of the pandemic. And right. uh, they have really liked this movie. Like this movie has sort of filled kind of like a vacuum that this contest left that because it was canceled. And I actually found that kind of touching because I think one thing this movie does really well is it does both celebrate as much as it satirizes the Eurovision deal. As far as I can tell, I don't know how outlandish Eurovision really is, but based on what I've been reading and, and noticing from other people, it's it's apparently pretty spot on with like kind of the culture of that song contest. Uh, overall, I think this is a pretty funny movie. And even though I think the first like 30 minutes are pretty rough, it really picks up and the, the laughs actually start uh, happening. Like I did not find this very funny. I think Will Ferrell is the absolute weak link here. I didn't like, I, I can maybe count on my hand how many jokes really worked with him, but Rachel McAdams, Dan Stevens, Pierce Brosnan, they get the biggest laughs out of this. And overall, I, I like this one quite, kind of fine. Uh, what did you think? Um, I thought it was okay. <laughs> uh, it was another film where, uh, I, I think the worst part about it is I didn't really laugh that much. Like there are a couple chuckles. Well, look, I will say there's one scene in this movie that I think mostly because it caught me off guard, I thought was really funny. Like it made me laugh for a good bit, but like it was like kind of like uh, 
it, it was less common than anything else where it's just like I, I think everything else in the movie was just kind of like yeah <laughs> that's fine whatever but um i i do think what separates this film from a lot of will ferrell's recent movies is that it is like you said fairly earnest and fairly wholesome in a way that his other movies have recently kind of been more kind of ironic and kind of more adult oriented and this feels like a return to um kind of the more like you said broader kind of more man childish things that like i think some people are tired of and some people are, are going to see it as sort of nostalgic and like a return to his older style. I mean, I guess there was Holmes and Watson a few years ago, but everyone's basically forgotten that film or tried to at least. Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, um, I do think like he's committed to this. Like, obviously he wrote it. Uh, and I think this is the first film he wrote without um, Adam McKay, which is, I guess something worth noting, but um, it is weird. Like you said, that he, his performance feels like the odd man out in this and that like, like it feels like he's like 10 years older than the character is supposed to be. And that yeah. adds like a weird kind of sadness to his role that I don't think was intended, <laughs> which is like when we see him at the beginning of the film being like a middle aged guy who's like still holding on to this childish dream. It's supposed to be kind of like, oh, look at this goof. But like now that he's like 50 something. It's like, OK, yeah. And this is like this is pretty sad. <laughs> see, that's <laughs> why yeah. I, I don't want to do that thing where I say I'm criticizing the movie that I want to see and not the movie it is. But I cannot help but pitch this movie could have been one of the best comedies of the year. All you have to do is switch Will Ferrell and Dan Stevens. That's it. Let I guess so, put yeah. Dan Stevens as the main character. It's a different kind of movie. And obviously, like, it's not the same exact sort of structure. But Will Ferrell would have worked way better in this as a side character, I think. Uh, that, that's all I'll say. The outlandish Russian type as opposed to the... Uh, right. Yeah, I can see that. I, I think I think he's been doing more supporting stuff recently for that reason. Like, it seems like like when he does do something like this, it's like Zoolander 2 or something like that, where he does kind of like he plays up that uh, absurdist kind of guy pretty well. But um, I do think what makes it work better than some of his other recent films is, like you said, Rachel McAdams, who like, I, yeah. I mean, all the characters are fighting their accents, I think, in this movie. <laughs> Uh, so like Will Ferrell's kind of doing it more ironically, I guess, than the other characters. And like Pierce Brosnan is like verging on Swedish chef territory at times. But um, <laughs> yeah, uh, Rachel McAdams. I think it's the thing that really stood out to me in a weird way is that like even though she's kind of putting on this like uh, affected um, Icelandic accent, and you can kind of see through it, she still has these moments of like emotional sincerity and like wholehearted goodness, where it's just like she's clearly so invested in this character and it feels like a return because she hasn't been acting. I think the past couple of years, cause she had a kid um, and she hasn't really done a comedy since game night, which it wasn't that long ago, but it feels like a while ago <laughs> with everything that's been going on. Um, so, you know, it, it did feel nice to see her again, the comedy when, and I do think it's another thing where it's like all of her drive and motivation seems to be driven by male characters, which is annoying from a writing standpoint. But I do think it's a credit to her performance that she does kind of bring out this, uh, emotional sincerity that I think adds to the movie's unexpected sweetness, which I think is what people are resonating with is that it does have this kind of like uh wholesome, like good vibe kind of mentality that, that seems to be against the kind of more uh, cynical, ironic stuff that's been going around recently. And I can respect that. Cause like, you know, like a show like um, Joe Parrott talks with you, I think is one of the reasons why I like it so much is it is kind of wholesome and, and intentionally unironic in that way. And I think, um, I think that's something that really resonates with me. And I think that's, what's, uh, speaking to people about this film, but 
at the same time, like I said, I just didn't really think it was that funny. So it's like, <laughs> I, I can appreciate what it's doing. I think it's fine for what it is. I think it's better than most Netflix comedies that we've gotten of late. But at the end of the day, I still don't think it's anything particularly noteworthy as people are making out to be. I think it's weird because I think the, the jokes, again, hit or miss, but the jokes that work in this movie had me laughing really, really into Like, there are some really good laughs in here. You just sort of have to wait. And they, they just are, they're too occasional, which is, that is the struggle. Uh, I do think like there's a recurring gag here with elves that has one of the best payoffs. <laughs> like the, that, that was the you scene. Didn't see that that, coming I did, but it was just, it was, it was so brilliantly executed. I just thought it was flawless in okay. that sense. But yeah, I, I think that like, like I was saying before, I, the jokes here, when they don't work, they don't work. But I think what carries this as a comedy is the musical side of it. I think the music in here is actually genuinely good. I agree. Like, even when it's just trying to be like a parody, it's good parody. Like, th there's like a song along that happens in the middle of here that just sort of feels like we're celebrating like past Eurovision contest winners. And that's really what it is. Like, they brought in like the Eurovision uh, winners. And I did know that because I, I, again, I don't watch Eurovision, but you kind of can sense like, oh, these are like, incredibly gifted singers and it's maybe a good introduction in that sense to people who haven't seen it before and it's just so joyful and it's just so fun and like i don't i never got the sense that this was taking shots at eurovision in any sort of mean-spirited way and i think that's why overall it works and i i gotta tell you rachel mcadams like i think this movie has confirmed something that i've really been suspecting for a while and i think that rachel mcadams is probably one of our best actors. I think she's in top 10, maybe top 20 actors working right now. And just look at her filmography. I think even the bad movies she's in, uh, even movies that are kind of average, like Southpaw, or uh, I would say Doctor Strange, you know, that's not a great film, but she just brings something to every film she's in. Uh, you mentioned Game Night, but also Disobedience, which was uh, 2017. That was a movie like that she, say again? spotlight spotlight of course you know like she just she has like these really great roles and i think that versatility is what makes her one of our best actors because she can be absolutely scene stealing in mean girls like her role is still iconic from that which sure, was like yeah. a breakout role uh and she can also be like a romantic lead who can go to toe to toe with anybody as we saw in like notebook and again Same wedding here. crashers which she was in yeah yeah I, I just think like even in films that are kind of like schmaltzy like time traveler's wife or kind of like formulaic like morning glory and and even when she's the a, not a likable character in midnight in paris like she's always dynamic she's always playing something different and then some of her best movies like i'd say about time are when you're just like, man, this is one of our best actors. So I just have to say, Rachel McAdams, uh, she just she deserves to be celebrated more and more. And I'm glad this movie exists because it shows that versatility that she could do something as silly and weird as this and still be convincing and still be believable. And yeah, I think uh, it's not a movie that when people make top 10 lists one day for Rachel McAdams, they're not going to be like, well, there was Eurovision, <laughs> you know. But when it comes to like best rachel mcadams roles i could see this being there yeah i mean that's basically what i was trying to say before is i have nothing mean to say about rachel mcadams i think she's great uh, and, and I, I i think she is a big reason why this movie goes down smoother than it would have otherwise um and i think like i said her commitment to bit because it's a fairly one joke premise like I, I don't think the movie uh tries to ignore that but i i do think 
her commitment is what kind of brings some freshness to it. And I think it's what people are responding to besides Dan Stevens, who I, I wasn't crazy, crazy, crazy about Dan Stevens' performance, but I didn't dislike it. Like, I thought it was fine. Um, I don't okay, know. That's, that's a, okay. I, I just don't Come think there's on. enough there to make it like anything particularly noteworthy. Like, I think he did a nice job. Like, I just don't think. Oh, uh, like, like, well, like, Ashton. I, 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 hang on a second. I, I'm faulting <laughs> the character more than the performance. Like, I think his performance is fine. I just don't think there's a lot <sighs> to the character that's really that special. I, I do. I do appreciate, though, that they didn't like make his character gross or like weird in any way. Like there's a weird wholesomeness to his like sure. sexually uh, prone guy that like even though the, like he is like that kind of character that would be kind of like off putting in other films. Like there is like a weird uh, charisma to that performance that is really um, I think a credit to him. But um, did you do you at least see what is so transcendent about the Lion of Love song number? I, I get that Dan Stevens is very attractive. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm not blind. <laughs> I'm just saying if again, I'm, I'm putting things in context of lists, but if I had to list out right now, my favorite movie moments of the year, line of love is easily in the top 10. Like no question. It's a real, uh, I need a hero Shrek two moment, I guess. Uh, I just don't know, Will Ashton. I don't know what's going to break through that ice cold exterior you've been putting on the last few weeks. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, I, how much have I praised Rachel McAdams so far? <laughs> I think she's great. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's fine. Like I said, like I, I, I definitely think it's better than most other Will Ferrell comedies we've gotten the past ten years that aren't like the Lego Movie, for instance. But um i i don't think it's like anything particularly like return to form for him or like anything that's like especially noteworthy in the comedy scene i think it's better than your typical netflix comedy but like i think you know it's still a fairly average film by and large that's also way too long yeah i i do think we agree there even though i do like daddy's home (laughs) quite a bit better than you do which i still Uh, don't get but fine (laughs) yeah it's fine it's it's fine we don't have to talk about it sure Uh, and I still haven't seen Holmes and Watson. I don't know how that turned out. Um, I also did, uh, I don't think I saw Daddy's Home Two, or I didn't. I I might have started. I don't even remember what happened with that movie. Uh, Daddy's Home Two is one of the worst comedies ever. I think maybe. I think what pushed me away from that was the whole Mel Gibson thing, honestly. So, uh, uh, he was even the worst thing about it. <laughs> uh, the only thing I remember liking about it was uh, was John Lithgow, who is a treasure, and I think we need to see him in more movies again. Make John Lithgow and uh, Rachel McAdams. Put them in the movie together. <laughs> he could be her dad or something. I don't know. All right. All right. Yeah, I think uh, I think this is a really fun movie, and I really enjoy it. So I'm going to – I give this one a B-. minus. I think that it, it's not for everybody, and I think its biggest weakness is probably the runtime. This is not a movie that needed to be two hours and three minutes long. That does include the credits, yeah. but this is this is like an hour thirty five, hour forty tops, uh, and and part of that is the pacing of it is that it just sort of like rises and dips a little bit too much, and there's some extra things in there you could have easily just mm-hmm. edited out. But right. uh, aside from that, I think this is a pretty easy recommend, especially for a Netflix movie or Netflix comedy right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's almost there for me. Like, I, I give it a very high C plus because I, I do like that suite. I do like the supporting performances. I do like, I mean, it's very hard to make Iceland look bad. <laughs> so, I mean, it, that, the movie, at the very least, is a nice looking film for the most part. Um, And yeah, like you said, I mean, I, I do think it does have some winning moments. There is a running gag with Demi Lovato's character that at the end that that, that won me over. Um, So, yeah, I think that was really good. To, I think that's a credit to what you're saying before. But 
And I do agree that I think it is a musical comedy that respects the music aspect of it, which seems like a given, but it's not for a lot of these films. Um, and sure. I, 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 yeah, and I think that's the credit to its film as well. I just don't really think it's that funny or that noteworthy. It's like a Blades of Glory kind of thing where it's like, it's fine. Like, you know, it's 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 nice. It's a Netflix film because you don't have to go out of your way to see it. But um, it didn't like win me over to the point where I felt like I can really recommend it. Maybe if it was like 105 minutes long and it did cut out some of the fat, like you said, I might be more receptive to it. But as it stands, a very high C plus. Yeah, I think uh, I do want to harp on that. Like the whole you, you do. You can tell like a really great songwriter was involved in this. Somebody who really is good at making pop music. Um, the composer for this was uh, the music was by Otley Orvasen, who um, is very well known, very great composer. And so I think I think that's the stuff in here that really helps. Like, I think to contextualize this, it is kind of like a pop song movie in the sense that it's it's not very deep. It's pop. It's you know, there's stuff in here that's really catchy and, and very flashy and things that a lot of people will like and will stick in your brain. But yeah, you're, you can't dig into it for a lot of really deep layers and nor should you really try to. So I think for think, some people. Uh, Oh, yeah. Sorry. I was gonna say, do you think this movie might work better if instead of Will Ferrell it was Adam Sandberg or Andy Sandberg? Because they're the I, same. Again, age. I stick to Dan Stevens, man. All right. I mean, I'm just thinking because like if, if Lonely Island was involved with this and like Andy Sandberg and Rachel McAdams are like the same age, so I think that might work. I think his energy might work better for this than Will Ferrell, but that's just something we else. We'll see out. Andy Sandberg soon in Palm Springs, which is, I think, the best comedy of the year so far. And I hmm. cannot wait for you to see it. Yeah, I'm very excited. Uh, that is an interesting idea, though. I, I, I think that I, I could see. I did think a lot of pop star never stop, never stopping while I was watching this. And I know some people have said, like, uh, maybe this should have been like a mockumentary kind of thing. Maybe that would have been a better format. But I don't think I agree with that necessarily. I kind of like how this turned out. overall. But, uh, but sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. <laughs> Uh, that's about it. I, I think that uh, I, I think like most pop songs and most like, you know, it might stick in your head or it might annoy you. But for, I think for most people, they'll get something fun out of this. So I give it a B minus. And that's it for our reviews of the week. We have a lot of other stuff coming out next week that uh, maybe some things that are going to be pushed again. I'm actually kind of confused about this because there is one movie on this list that might actually be delayed. We'll get to that. Uh, first, Hamilton, the live recording of the Broadway musical, is going to be hitting Disney Plus uh, next week on July 3rd. I don't know if we're going to have a lot to say about Hamilton, Will. <laughs> I mean, that's a musical that's been out for like five years. Yeah, and I never saw it, though, all the way through. So I've seen a version of it in San Francisco. And I, again, yeah, it's something that's been talked about to death. I don't know if it really will warrant a full discussion on the show. Uh, but there is a new Netflix movie coming out called Desperados, which I hope we get to talk about. Uh, that's the new uh, Ellen Rappaport movie, her screenplay. Um, it's directed by LP and uh, it's got not like LP, the, the musician, I'm guessing, right? LP, a different LP. Um, I think a different LP. Yeah, yeah I was I gonna say, I, I, I'm joking. I'm pretty sure it's not LP <laughs> <laughs> from Run the Jewels. Uh, I am interested in this film because uh, Nassim Pedrad is in it. Um, yeah. I, I really love her. She's such a great actress. She's good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Robbie Amell, Lamorne Morris, Heather, uh, Heather Graham. Yeah. And this looks Good like kind of, uh, yeah, it just looks like kind of like a decent comedy coming out of Netflix. I haven't heard anything yet, but um, I don't know if that'll be our main review, honestly. But I don't think so. It looks it looks like a fairly small movie, like even by Netflix standards, it looks like a pretty like TV movie ish kind of thing. A little bit, but I can't I, I haven't found anything else uh, unless I'm missing something that would well, be... I mean, Hamilton makes sense, I think, for the main review, even if we don't like you have so? like loads of, I mean, it's going to be the big release, undoubtedly yes. so. They spent how many millions of dollars to buy that thing? Like I, know. I know we'll talk about it to some extent. It's just like, 
are we going to review Hamilton? Like, I don't know. I just, well, we can kinda... talk about, I think there's a broader discussion to be had in there about like, you know, like, like how many musicals have really been put on streaming? Not that many. And I think that's something that that's an avenue uh, that could I mean, be explored. Netflix has a bunch of, I mean, like newsies and like, we didn't talk about that. I mean, I don't know. I, I like get the, it. Because the stage productions of them or the movies, the stage production of okay. newsies. Yeah. That's how a okay. lot of people discovered that play. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I know that there's plenty to talk about. It's just in a review format. It's like, I don't see weird. a reason to review Hamilton. Right. Like, I, I don't guess, know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Yeah. Uh, there is another movie. I really hope this comes out, but I've seen conflicting release dates. This is what I was referring to earlier. Uh, there's a new movie called Relic from IFC Films. It premiered at Sundance. Great reviews. Uh, everyone I know who's seen this has really liked it. Uh, it's like an Australian horror film. And it was supposed to come out July 3rd, but I'm seeing some reports that it might be July 10th. And I'm not sure why. I'm not sure if it's because it's hitting drive-ins on one day and hitting VOD on another day. And that's the confusion. So I hope it's July 3rd because I'd love to talk about that movie and be able to see it. Uh, and it'd be fun to talk about a horror film because we have I feel like we haven't seen a, a decent horror film in a little bit. But uh, that, um, that's all I've found so far. Um, there might be a couple of other VOD things that uh, are under the radar that we might we might be discussing next week as well. But if we miss anything, be sure to let us know in the comments. Or if you do think we need to review Hamilton, we will listen to your feedback on that. I think we should talk about Hamilton no matter what. But um, I'm looking at some things. I guess there's a John Lewis uh, John Lewis uh, documentary that's coming out. Have you heard anything about this? It's called John Lewis Good Trouble. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that's the... Like like when he was at like the civil rights era and it's like about his whole life and everything. I guess so. I mean, there's that there's something called the truth, I guess is coming out with Ethan Hawke and Juliette Binoche. Okay. Uh, something called the outpost, Scott Eastwood and Orlando Bloom. I don't know if these are actually oh, coming yeah, out, yeah. Um, but I guess those are films that maybe that might be coming out next weekend. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, there's some uh, that's the thing i don't know if these are going to warrant as much discussion but uh outpost is interesting because it does have a really good cast because of you know orlando bloom and all that Uh, Um, classic scott eastwood well it's based on a book by uh jake tapper isn't it i have no idea i've never heard of it until now okay i I heard a little bit about this there was some like buzz for it even though scott eastwood is not exactly like on the ascent uh like he used to be i guess but was he on the ascent I don't know. Uh, but yeah, Good Troubles is an interesting one. I forgot about that because I think it was supposed to like be at a few festivals. And I don't think it did um, as far as I know. Um, but another, I think it's like another Tribeca faithful that's just getting released. Um, but yeah, well, the, the, there might be a few extras then for us to talk about. Might be interesting. Well, no matter what, we'll figure something out. <laughs> yeah. All right. That'll do it, though, for us this week on Cinemaholics. Thanks, as always for listening and uh i guess we'll see you all next week from the internet california i am john agroni and from pennsylvania i'm washed see you next time